my favorite text in Scripture is Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, where it says that Jesus sat down on a mountain and taught his disciples. I do have permission. Yeah, it does. It does come with age, but uh, I did have a decision to make. I could either <clears throat> preach from the pulpit and probably last about 10 to 12 minutes or sit down and preach for an hour. And I know that you would prefer the latter, so I've decided to do that. I want to thank Pastor Josh and the elders for uh, allowing me this great privilege and trusting uh, this morning's sermon. I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and just go to the first chapter to, to start with. I've been living in Jeremiah for several months now, and when I was invited to speak, uh, it fell quite naturally to uh, talk about what I've been studying. Because, as you'll see if you ever read Jeremiah, there are significant references to the coming of the Messiah. And so, uh, it seemed naturally to do that. Jeremiah lived 600 years before Jesus Christ was born. That's a good number to remember. It's a, it's a round number. Uh, Isaiah was 700 years before Christ was born, so there's a 100 years difference between the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born just about four miles north of Jerusalem. And uh, he was a PK. Now, Rob knows what a PK is, because he is one. And I was one. But Jeremiah was actually a priest's kid. He grew up in a priest's home. So he's familiar with God's Word and the law. At a young age, about 20, God told him that he, he was being called into a ministry. In fact, as some of you will know, God actually said, even before you were born, I called you to this ministry. I appointed you to this ministry. But about age 20, Jeremiah heard from God, and God gave him a very distinct ministry among the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. He was a prophet. That meant that he prosecuted the people for charges from the Lord God against them. But intermingled within his 40 years of ministry, 
he constantly brought to the people hope. One of the statements that runs throughout the the prophet Jeremiah's writings is, if then, if you repent, if you return, then, then I will bring you back. Then I will heal you. Then I will bless you. And so there's this recurring theme throughout the prophet's um, ministry. If you look in chapter 1 and verse um, 9, you'll see this as God spoke to Jeremiah. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms. Just pause there to note, see how far-reaching the prophet's ministry was? It was primarily to Judah, but his words carried an impact on all the nations. This is terribly important. That word nations in the Hebrew is the word that speaks of Gentiles. These are Gentiles. Now watch what he's to say. To pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, and to build and to plant. He had a ministry of tearing down and he had a ministry of building up. He had a ministry of judgment, and he had a ministry of hope. And throughout the, we're going to be going to chapter 23, but throughout the first 22 chapters, that's the emphasis. Bringing charges against God's people, Judah, but also providing hope to the people who would become exiles in Babylon. You'll remember that at this time in Israel's history, the country, the the tribes are divided. At the time of Isaiah, a hundred years earlier, the Assyrians came in and destroyed and decimated the tribes to the north, which is called Israel. But the tribe of Judah to the south was attempting to be faithful. This was the chosen tribe. This was the the royal tribe. This is the tribe where it was prophesied that a scepter would be born in Judah. This was the tribe where the promised Messiah would come. And and there was a, a strong attempt by these people to live according to the law but they failed miserably in the end. Jeremiah actually prophesied during the the reign of five kings. The first one, Josiah, which was a pretty good king. The last one, the last one, the last one that God had instituted was Jochaniah, who was a very bad king. I told you that Jeremiah preached for 40 years 
and he preached to five kings. That doesn't mean that a king sat on the throne very long, did he? That's also something that ought to awaken our senses as we read the Bible. Because good kings reign for uh, a sense of longevity. Bad kings didn't reign long at all. God had a special word for Judah. It's an interesting word. I find it fascinating. I've talked about it with a number of people. God's message to Judah was if they would surrender to the coming Babylonian armies, God would preserve them, they would go to Babylon, they would live their life, and God would bring them back. But if they resisted the Babylonians, they would be destroyed. What a fascinating thing for God to say. And what I believe God was saying to Judah, and in a sense what he always says to us, if you will submit to my discipline, I will restore you. But if you fight my discipline, you will be destroyed. I found that a fascinating message. God had his hand of mercy and love on these people who would become eventually exiles in Babylon. There's two exiles, two movements from Judah to Babylon. The first included uh, famous people like Daniel. And then there was a second one. Poor Jeremiah never got to Babylon. He ended up uh, dying a martyr's death in Egypt. His message was hard, his life was hard, his death was horrible. But God's promise to the exiles is what we're going to look at this morning. So I invite you to turn to chapter 23, Jeremiah chapter 23. In verses 1 to 8, God is giving three promises to the people who would soon be exiles in Babylon. In this time of judgment and harshness and severity from God, he was there now going to give them three promises of hope. Before we read those promises, I need to give a little instruction on how to read the promises that God gave to Judah and to all who received messianic promises in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard of the term double fulfillment? We celebrate one at Christmas. You see, in Isaiah 7, God gave Ahaz, the king, a sign. A sign of what he was going to do. And he said through the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz, here's the sign that you know what I'm going to do. A maiden shall bring forth a child, and his name 
shall be called Emmanuel. That promise was given to Ahaz, King Ahaz, 700 years before Christ. But when we open the book of Matthew, Matthew takes this same promise and applies it to Mary. And it is written, A virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel. You see, there's a double fulfillment. When I've taught on this before, I liken it to standing in a mountain range. Imagine somehow you could uh, go to the Rockies and stand in a mountain range, and you'd look at all the, te- the, the tips and the peaks in front of you. The promises of God to the restoration of Israel is exactly like that. You stand on one peak and you see a, a peak just ahead of you, and there's a promise there. But as your eyes gaze, or better, as the Holy Spirit gives uh, illumination to you, you see, oh, there's another fulfillment further down the road. And then you look and you see another mountain, and you see, oh, there's another fulfillment down the road. That's how the promises of God work. Some of the promises that God gives to Judah through Jeremiah were fulfilled immediately, but partially. Other promises were filled when the Messiah, in fact, did come. And there are other promises that are yet to be fulfilled, even including us today. And so it becomes somewhat of a task to study and interpret the promises of God to Israel because you have to have that mindset that there are multiple fulfillments in in the mind of the prophet. Let's look at Jeremiah 23. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Just let me pause there for a minute for something that I learned. I in the writing of Jeremiah, he, there's some masterful sentences. Do you see that one that just, just, we just read? God says to the shepherds, you have not attended to the flock, now I'm going to attend to you. That's just a masterful piece of literature. Really powerful. Let's move on. Verse 3. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord." Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king 
and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up, brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. Father, just help us now, I pray, by your Spirit to understand these promises, to understand them in a sense and in a way that your Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah. But I also pray, Father, that by your Spirit you would help us apply it to ourselves, that we would leave here having sensed the depths and the glory of your mercy and your grace. For truly we have read of things of the gospel. Truly we have read of things of the Lord Jesus Christ. May our hearts be quickened. Help me as I speak and help us as we listen. And Holy Spirit of God, have free reign in this place. Remove all hindrances and obstacles that we might hear correctly and apply them according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I actually read three promises there. Let me give you a little road map. Jeremiah, in this portion of Scripture, has given Judah, who would be exiled, three promises. One, two, and three. Let me give you a name. The first promise had to do with a shepherd. The second promise had to do with a Messiah. And the third promise had to do with a deliverer. Now here's the road map. I'm going to just briefly cover one and three and dig a little deeper into number two. And when we get into number two, now, don't be confused. Remember, I'm still a Baptist. We have three promises, but within number two, there are three characteristics of the Messiah. That's actually what I want you to go home with. I want you to go home permanently, indelibly printed on your hearts the three characteristics of the Messiah that is promised. But let's also not lose sight of these wonderful promises. Promise number one is a shepherd. God condemns the shepherds. These are priests and leaders and the kings of Israel. God condemns them. But notice in verse 3, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. 
neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. That promise was fulfilled when the king of Babylon said to Nehemiah, you can take the captives back to Jerusalem. They did come back to Jerusalem. The city had been demolished, but they came back, and they started to rebuild. And God did set shepherds over them. When you think of Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, Haggai, God set shepherds over them. But beloved, the fulfillment of this promise wasn't complete in 583 B.C. There was still yet something to complete. Notice what it says. There will be a time come when there will be no more fear. There will be a time come when there will be no more dismay. There will be a time come when none, none will be missing. Every one of God's elect will be in the fold. You see, after the Jews came back to Jerusalem and started building, actually, historically, it, it got worse again. And Herod rebuilt their temple. And then in A.D. 70, they were wiped out. The temple was destroyed. The sacrifices were destroyed. Millions of Jews were killed. So what is this further prophecy that Jeremiah is speaking of. I would contend to you this morning, beloved, that he's speaking of the good shepherd. That he has in mind a day when just not human shepherds will look after Israel, but there will be one come who is the good shepherd. You remember what we, we learn about Jesus the good shepherd. You remember that? He said, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for my sheep. Other sheep from other folds are mine also. I'll bring them into my fold, and not one of them I will lose. Not one will be plucked from my hand. Does that not resonate with Jeremiah? Not one will be missing. Until Jesus the Good Shepherd came, and through His power and His love and His mercy, His death on the cross, gathering His people he gathers them into his fold. They know his voice. They hear his voice. They follow him. And he loses not one. And by the way, Jesus is still doing that today. The total fulfillment of that prophecy is still going on today. Jesus is still gathering his people. And you might be here this morning, and you're not a Christian You've never, ever trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never hung to him as a, the treasure and the delight of your life. You've never recognized that he died for you, that you might have forgiveness of sin. He is still calling people like you. He's still calling you into his fold. So Jeremiah's promise of shepherds not only takes us from the shepherds that were immediately in the foreground, but in the distance. Actually, 400 years later, a man will appear, and he's the one that says, I am the good shepherd. Drop down to the third promise, verses 7. 
and 8, the promise of a deliverer. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But, okay, stop. The thing that Israel boasted about, and rightly so, was when God rescued them from Egypt, from slavery, from the terror of Pharaoh, and brought them out of Egypt. They rejoiced in that day, that day of deliverance. And up until this point, that's what their boast was. As the Lord lives, who brought us out, out of the land of Egypt, who rescued us. Every year they had a special ceremony to celebrate this. Do you remember what that ceremony was? It's called Passover. Every year they celebrated the truth that while they were in slavery in Egypt, God, through his mighty power and hand, rescued them, delivered them out of Egypt. But Jeremiah says here, that's not going to be their boast anymore. There's a day coming, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. Then they will dwell in their own land. No longer will be the deliverance of Egypt be their boast. Their, the day will come when these people will delight in the fact that God has called his people from all over the world to celebrate his great rescue. There's a little hint here. You may want to test this. There's a little hint here. But in the time of Israel, up until the time of Christ, they boasted of the delivery of the people out of Egypt through Passover. We have a celebration that we entertain in this church on a monthly basis. And what's that? That's the celebration of God rescuing people from all over the world and bringing them home. That great deliverance. So Jeremiah promised the people, in the days ahead, there's going to be a shepherd that will draw you in and keep you safe. In the days ahead, there's going to be a deliverer who will not simply deliver you from the hands of a man and an army, but will deliver you from the wrath of God. There will be one person come who will deliver you from hell. And if you but put trust in him and submit to him and surrender to him, you will be able to say, that Egyptian thing, that was nothing. You should hear about what I've really been delivered from. I hope that's your praise this morning. I hope that would be your boast this morning. Just as Paul said in Colossians 1.13, He has delivered me from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of of his dear son. 
What a massive deliverance. Can you say that this morning? Can you say, I've been through the greatest deliverance than a human being could ever experience? God delivered me from sin, from Satan, and from hell. And now I'm his son. I belong to him and his kingdom. But the main point. Now you know why I sat down. The main point. Look at verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will, be, will dwell securely and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will raise up for David a righteous branch. I don't like the word branch. There is a better word. A better word might be our word that we use, shoot, a shoot. I cut down a big elm tree in my house, in the backyard. It wasn't long before I saw in a hedge an elm stump coming up. It actually got quite big. So I brought my terrifying chainsaw out and cut it off, assuming it would be deader than a doornail. And it wasn't long until the next year. What did I see? coming up out of that dead stump. What did I see? I saw a shoot. Not a branch, really. A shoot. A shoot, a new tree. Have you got your Bibles open? Just look up in chapter 22, just, just a little bit before. Look at verse 28. In my Bible, the name is given Coniah, your Bible, it might be Jeconiah. But in verse 28, we read, Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land they don't know? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah Kaniah was the last king of Israel you'll say no it wasn't there's one more king Zedekiah well you're sort of right you see after all the captives went to Babylon the king of Babylon needed somebody to look after the, the land that now Judah had vacated. So he set in place a vassal king by the name of Zedekiah. He wasn't really a king. The real 
last reigning king in Israel was Kaniah. And God judged him and said, you will not have a child to sit on David's throne. Now, we know the end of the story, but if you're in Judah, you'd say, what? God, you promised the prophet Samuel to David that an offspring of David will sit on his throne forever. What's going on, God? You're saying no more, no more offspring? God says, yeah. For 400 years, there was no offspring on David's throne. Until who came? What's his name? You can talk. For 400 years, there was no one sitting on David's throne until who came? Thank you. Thank you. The stump was dead. The tree of Israel was cut off. No more life. No more future. No more Davidic king. No Jesus. No Messiah. But a shoot. A shoot came out. What in the world is going on? And here we have the answer. A branch shall come forth from David's throne. That's the promise of a Messiah. Amazing promise. When the wise men came to Herod, what was their question? Do you remember? This might sound like a Christmas exam this morning as a sermon, but do you remember what their question was? Where is he of whom it is said is king of the Jews? And the right answer at that time by a, uh, by a Jew would have been, we have no more kings. Kaniah had the last was the last king. Ah. The wise men knew something that these people didn't know yet. That a, man, a boy would be born king of the Jews. Jesus came, as was promised to David. Even though there was 400 years, there was no king. The promised Messiah came. And you'll notice that he is promised to reign He'll execute justice and righteousness. And in his day, in the day when Jesus comes, then salvation will start to occur. Salvation. Thus all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. Notice further. So the first characteristic of this Messiah is that he's king. He's king. Notice further. And he shall be called the Lord. Number two. How many of you, as you're looking at your Bibles, notice that the word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Do you notice that in your Bible? 
It's really cool when you look at me, but I'd rather you look at your Bible. I'm not that much to look at. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is a clue given to us by the translators. You see, if it was L, small o, R, D, it would mean that the root Hebrew name would be Adonai. But because it's all capitals, it means the root name is Yahweh, Jehovah. This one who is going to come is not only going to be the king of kings, he's also called Jehovah. Beloved, do you know who Jehovah is? Do you remember Exodus 3, when God called Moses to go into Egypt and set his people free? And Moses says to God, God, who will I say is sending me? God says, tell them, I am sent you. And there's the word Yahweh, Jehovah. It means, it means that this God is self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal. He's the God of all power. He's the God who can do anything because he has all resources in his capability. He's the God who's eternal. That must mean he's perfect. Because if you're not perfect, you're not eternal. You fizzle, fizzle out it sometime. But this is Yahweh. Listen to what we're being told in this passage. This branch, this Jesus that will come as a baby born in a manger is not only the king of kings, he is Jehovah in the flesh. We're going to sing in a few minutes a song written by Mark Lowry, probably familiar to you. But he, hammered, he gets this really right. He says, Mary, did you know? Did you know that the face that you're touching is the face of God? God. And then as if that isn't enough, he says, Mary, did you know? That this baby you're holding is the great I am. Amazing. Amazing. This is, this is what, where I want you to be and I want to be at Christmas time is to set aside some of the frivolity of even manger scenes. And when you look at that little baby in a in a manger, you say, this is God. This is Jehovah in the flesh. This is the King of kings. 600 years before it happened, God's Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah to see that. He was looking way down the mountain ranges. And he saw appearing in Bethlehem a little baby boy who was the king of kings and Jehovah in the flesh. 
And then he says, and he shall be called the Lord, and the third point, our righteousness. Our righteousness. Three characteristics of the Messiah. He is king, he is Jehovah, and oh, the good news, he is our righteousness. That implies that you and I this morning have no righteousness of our own. That all our good deeds are like filthy rags. That nobody born on this planet innately can do anything good in themselves. There is none righteous, no, not one. You're here this morning in this auditorium, I want you to know that the condition by which you were born in is dead in sin. And you need the righteousness of someone who is perfect to help you. And 600 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Jeremiah said he's our righteousness. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I don't know how to say this, but I want to say it the best way I can. Sometimes we miss the mark on the gospel as Christians. Let me say something provocative. You could have all your sins forgiven today and die and go to hell. Many times we talk about, are you a Christian? Yeah, what do you believe? I believe my sins were forgiven. That's so true, and I don't want to demean that. But if all that's happened to you today is that God wiped away your sins, you will die and go to hell because what God demands of you and I this morning is to be as righteous as He is. Several weeks ago, our pastor preached here, and he, he told us that on his business card, he has a verse on the back. Do you remember that? Were you listening? Do you know 2 Corinthians 5.21? He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become, can you finish it? The righteousness of God. That's the gospel. That's what we need to be saved. We need the righteousness of God. And that can only come through faith in Jesus Christ according to Romans 3.21 and following. The only way we can be fully justified and made right with God is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and following him and living for him. And God freely, out of the majesty of his goodness, to all who trust in him, says, I not only forgive your sin, I not only accept you as into my family, but I now declare you are as righteous as God.
And that's just halfway down the range of the hills. Because guess what happens when you get to the last hill? You're not only declared righteous, you are actually righteous. And you'll live with God on the new heaven and new earth. And everyone will be righteous. And no more will people say, no God, do you know God? No, everyone will know God then. Because those who have turned away from God and not trusted Him will no longer be there. It'll only be those who are righteous. That's the gospel. 600 years before the advent, it was prophesied that a babe in the manger would come, and he is king of kings. He would come, and he was God in the flesh, Jehovah in the flesh. And he would come and be our righteousness. And beloved, he's the only righteousness that's going to help you. If you're trusting in anything else this morning, you're going to lose. Because Jesus Christ came to be our righteousness. And you can experience that today by putting your trust in Christ and his work on Calvary for you. There's a little rule in expository preaching. And the rule goes like this. The message of the text becomes the message of the sermon. The message of the text becomes the message of the sermon. Do you know what the message of this text is? Glad you asked. Jeremiah actually wrote Jeremiah, and he made notes, and he compiled a book. Almost the whole thing was compiled by him, except for his uh, uh, scribe near the end, Baruch. And Jeremiah wrote this book, and he wanted it to be delivered to the exiles in Babylon to read. So imagine you're an exile in Babylon by one of their rivers and you've already hung up your harp because you don't know what to sing anymore. And you ask this question, what in the world am I doing here? And what hope do I have? And then somebody comes along and hands you the book of Jeremiah and you start reading it. That was his purpose of writing this, to exiles in Babylon who might have been asking the question, how in the world did we get here? And what hope do we have? And then they read Jeremiah and they say, yeah, I know how we got here. <laughs> Idolatry immorality, injustice, disobedience, burning our children as sacrifices. I know how we got here. 
I read the book. And then that little Jewish man by the rivers of Babylon says, but what hope is there? <laughs> what hope do we have? And he reads the book and he says, God's going to bring you back out of here. And he's making you three promises. He's going to promise you a shepherd. He's going to promise you a Messiah who is King of kings, Lord of lords, God in the flesh, who is your righteousness. And he promises you a deliverer. And guess what, folks? The same message that that Jew needed to hear in Babylon is the same message you and I need to hear this morning. There's no difference. I hear it all the time. I talk about it all the time. You talk about it all the time. Haven't you been having coffee with somebody and say, how in the world did we get here? And you might be thinking of some political thing, some some war, some military conflict, some educational problem, something in economics, and you're going, how in the world is this we such a mess? Why, why is this so such a mess? And some of you will want to blame the prime minister. Some of you will want to bl blame the minister of health or the minister of education. Some of you will want to blame the Bank of Canada. And you're all wrong. The reason we are where we are this day in 2023 is called sin. Sin. Your sin and my sin. Sin that's been done to you or sin that's just in the world. Things don't work the way they used to. The world is decaying and corrupt because of sin. And my Christmas message for you this morning is, let's wake up and call sin, sin. And stop blaming other things. The reason... Canada is where it is today. The reason you are where you are today, the reason your marriage is struggling, the reason you're struggling in other ways is called sin. And I'm so glad I, I don't leave it there. Because some of you might be saying, well, is there any hope? <laughs> and I say, look at the baby. Look at the baby. He's the king. He's God in the flesh. And if you will trust him this morning, he will become your righteousness. And someday he will call you to a land that is fairer than all. And you will dwell with him in perfect peace and harmony and safety. You will serve him with delight and joy. And in his land, everyone will be righteous. 
and there'll need no more sun, for Jesus Christ will be there shining in all his brilliance. The question is, what have you done with this baby in your life? Have you truly surrendered to him? Did you know he was God in the flesh? Do you know he's the great I am? Have you put your faith in him? I'd ask the worship team to come and and I'm just going to close this part in prayer as they come and get ready. Our Father, only a fool would say that their lives are certain and secure in this world. Horrible things happen to us, including our dear friends, the Urquharts, to nearly lose their home. People die. People become hospitalized for life. People lose their jobs. People lose their marriages. They lose their families. Pray, Lord, that not a moment will go by if there's someone listening to this message this morning, either online or in this room, who is not walking faithfully with you and living obediently, trusting lives with you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to their spirit. And that even as you promised those exiles in, from Judah, you will say to them, I will bring you back. I will be your God. And you will be my person. I will forget all your sins. I'll write a new law in your heart, a, a law that it wants to delight in me and wants to to take joy in me. And you will get to know me on a level that you've never experienced in your life. Would you speak to them this morning, Father, by your Spirit? Father, as we sing this final song, may the words penned by the author cut deeply into our hearts. And help us no longer to see just a baby, for indeed you were, but we'll see the great I am.
but God in the flesh, the King of kings. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.